Hi, everybody. Welcome to a new episode. So I have someone very special on the line with me right now who's not part of the episode, but she is super awesome. Nicole DeBoom is here. Hi, Nicole. Hey there. So Nicole and I were chatting and we are interv- I'm interviewing her in a couple of months, but we wanted to talk about something first. So I started this thing called the Year of No Nonsense. And I wanted to get Nicole involved because, hey, we're all trying to do the best we can with our new year coming. And the Year of No Nonsense is basically a pledge to have no nonsense in your life. And not that I thought of Nicole and nonsense, <laughs> but thanks a lot. <laughs> we're busy women, right, Nicole? Oh, you got it. There okay, you. so I was totally drawn to no nonsense, just the phrase no nonsense, because I spend so much time getting stuck in my own way that sometimes I can't see myself out of the, the haze and the maze to get on with my day. Yeah. So what, what is your no nonsense? What are you going to eliminate? What is the nonsense you're getting rid of? Well, it's, it's cool. You know, you kind of gave everyone some ideas with your bullets on how you could potentially eliminate nonsense. And, you know, the one that really resonates with me the most right now is be present in the day to day. Yeah. And that's, that is tough for me because my mind spins in a million directions. Not only do I have this great company, Skirt Sports, I have a nonprofit I started. I have my own body needs that I need to fulfill, like my fitness and working out. (laughs) I I am married. (laughs) Yeah, I've got a body. I've got a husband. And, you know, I've got a five-year-old girl. And it's really, really hard for me to be present in the moment. So I love that one. I'm going to work on that. I'm going to be present in the day to day. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I love your podcast, you guys. Nicole DeBoom's podcast, Run This World. She had me on as a guest back in the day. It feels like the day, even though it was like a year ago. (laughs) But Nicole has amazing guests on her show. And of course, she's the founder of Skirt Sports, which is major and also one of our sponsors for our tri club so we just love nicole and so i'm glad you're taking part in our revolution is what i'm calling it year of no nonsense i want a t-shirt you're gonna make some we are (laughs) if there's a t-shirt i will make it absolutely i look forward to our our talk in the coming months and thank you for all that you do nicole oh you got it hey here's to no nonsense that's right Today's guest is Ted Rubin, who is an incredible social media marketing strategist and also many, many other things. He's a lot of fun. I met him up in Montauk a couple months ago when I was giving a talk and he was giving a talk. And so we talked and talked and talked. And we have a lot in common, which is very always fun to meet complete strangers and find your common ground. One of the things that Ted focuses on is something that he has coined called ROR, which is return on relationship, basically learning how to get the best return on your relationships with your followers, your customers, and more. So we talk about that a little bit, but we also talk about taking the high road and how to love your haters and your critics and how to get through in the social media world that we are all in. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode with Ted Rubin. 
Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day, and it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. Today's guest is Ted Rubin. Hi, Ted. Hey, Meredith. So excited to be here. I'm glad we were finally able to make this work. I know. You know what's so funny? I almost canceled on you. Uh, no, no. <laughs> you know why? No, why? So I woke up and I felt awful, like just awful. I couldn't even drag myself. Oh, no. I don't know. I just had this horrible, like, illness feeling and I thought you know what Ted would be like no let up man you gotta that's go. right <laughs> well I gotta tell you it's funny you said that because you know I get you got that email from me yesterday because I saw the email that said 10 30 and I didn't look closely at it because we made the the time when I was on the west coast oh that's so, right the first so, time right so and then I'm checking my calendar which I don't always wisely do in advance like the night before <laughs> and it says 1 30 and when I thought it was 10.30, I'm like, damn, I'm like, I'm signing up for a spin class at 9.15. <laughs> and, and, and I said, okay, this is perfect because it's like no let up. It, it's like, you know, what you can when you can. I am going to get the spin class in and the podcast. Right. With Meredith. And just, and like sprint out of the class and get home on time. <laughs> and you didn't have but, to. I, but, but I didn't have to as it may be. So instead, because I'm so freaking obsessive, like I, I went for a run and a walk on the beach because I had to get a little more in. You yeah, know, yeah I think you are I, a little obsessive, but that's what makes you successful. It, you know, it, it's true, but it, it also, like, you know, I say to people, it, it also makes it hard to be happy sometimes. And when, when I say yeah. happy, I, I don't mean, I mean, I'm basically, I'm pretty good at keeping myself happy, but I mean, I always feel stressed because I always feel like I'm not getting enough done. Yes. And then someone will say, well, what'd you do today? And when I tell them, they go, are you serious? <laughs> like, oh my God. I'm like, yeah, but I didn't get to the driving range. I really wanted to get there. And I wanted to do like another workout and I didn't do that. They're like, dude, like you got up at, I don't know, 7.30, you were online for two hours answering emails and doing social and making posts. You went to the gym and did an hour something workout. You know, then you went for a walk on the beach. Then you went and did some other things you had to do. Then you had four conference calls and did a podcast and you're pissed that you didn't get enough done. Yeah. I know that feeling though. Right? It, I know that it's, feeling. And part of it, I think, is endemic of, it, it's the good and the bad of, of these opportunities we have today and these platforms we have. The good being that we can always be accomplishing. So, you know, you, heard, you know the expression ABC, always be closing? Well, yes, it's one of my a, favorites. <laughs> ABA, always be accomplishing. But the a part, bad part of it is you, you feel like there's not a, like, you, you can always be doing something. So it's so hard to kick it down. Yeah. I mean, we, my husband and I talk about this all the time, how back in the day you just went to work and then you went home and that was it because there right. was no connection to the outside world. And, and maybe, yeah. maybe you had dinner and hung out with your kids and, and then maybe you went and did a little work before you went to bed or you worked on that proposal. From your or, briefcase. You right home. from your briefcase. Yes, <laughs> you know what I use my brief. So I have these. I have. I was in the in the uh, investment banking world, so I have all these briefcases. And my two best ones that are like one's a Louis Vuitton, and they were both gifts, and one came from Europe. I use them to store stuff in now. Like that's where I put my like valuables. 
So I just gave away my secret. If you break into my home, right. go get to my Louis, briefcase. Get the Louis briefcase right. and run. Like, I, and I think about every once in a while, I'll see like some guy old schooling it, like carrying a briefcase. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so glad I didn't do that anymore. Yeah. Like, I carry yeah. that damn thing. Well, it was super awkward for women too. So when I, when I first became a lawyer, it was like 2005 right. and yeah, there was computers, but no one took them to court and no one, you know, we were still very much paper files and briefcases and it was really awkward for women. Cause it's not like we could just have like this cool briefcase. It's like, do you have a big purse or do you have a wheelie bag? It was, so I was glad when the, the briefcase kind of thing stopped. But, That's one good right, thing. But- but it was more manageable because like part yeah. of the reason I think like I'm always down on myself is because I like it is 24-7. I can be connecting with people always. I see value in that. So like I always feel that way. And yeah. it's funny. People say to me like, do you ever turn it off? And around my birthday is December 26th. I turned 60, by the way. So we can promote that. <laughs> yes, there's anything I want to promote. Ted's going to be 60. Ted's big birthday party. And, um, well, it's usually I pick a bar down here and I just put it out on Facebook and say, if you want to come join for cocktails, you know, they're on me and here's where we'll be. So that's about the extent of that. But every year around that time, I like, it started out a few years ago when I was a collective bias with John Andrews and, and he's like, dude, you gotta like, you gotta step back for a moment. You're like so stressed. And, and I was involved in a very big in a mom blocker community, kind of like the macaroni kid community. And all these women were saying, Oh my God, like you got to turn it off. You got to." And John um, challenged me to take 24 hours and not touch my device and being the kind of person I am. And this is kind of what happened when I decided to go vegan. I was challenged to do it for three months. And I said, well, I'll do it for a year. I said, well, how about I do it for 48 hours? And, and after, and I did it myself, I didn't tell anybody. So after 24 hours, all these tweets started going out with, oh my God, is Ted okay? Like, where is he? Right. Like we haven't heard from him. And now I do it for 72 hours. And what I find the best about it is, is that I have time for like, I read books. Yeah. And I watch like once a year for 72 hours. Once a year. Wow. You know, I mean, I might set like, look, when I'm with people, I'm very good at setting my device aside. Yeah. Like if I'm spending time with someone, especially in business meetings, I, the only, I always tell people, if you want me, text me because it's an old habit from my daughters. Like when they were younger, like I would always check texts to make sure that, you know, they didn't need me for something. But, but I, I, I tend to put it aside, you know, unless of course I'm spending the day with someone and it's more of a casual, we're both going to get work done. Um, but the 72 hours, the most remarkable thing about it is just that you feel like you have time for things that you don't normally have time for. I mean, I, and by the way, it's not a total digital detox because I do watch TV because I consider that something like movies I don't watch the way I'd like to right? because I'm always doing other stuff. So I watch movies. I, and I, so I did do it a second time unintentionally when John and I, John bought a 45-foot catamaran, him and his wife Shannon, and John, myself, and two others, a, a certified captain, were, right after he got it, were bringing it back from Puerto Rico to, to Florida to get some work done. And it was a six-day, um, um, th- three-hour tour that turned into a six-day cruise. No, it was a six-day thing. And we had to run without, pa- we had to not use the power for anything sensitive. And there was no Wi-Fi. We were out in the middle of the ocean. So we had forced detox. Right. And it was, it was amazing. I mean, I read <laughs> three books. I watched five movies. And I, and, and I actually had conversations that lasted more than five-minute bits. Right. Well, let's rewind a little bit and tell everyone okay. what you do so they don't just think you're just this social media you know, maniac. This is your job. This is my job. This and, is what you do. And, so what do you do? Okay, so... <laughs> One of the what, things. What, let's what start. What do I do? 
So in the past, I, I was a CMO, and my last my last three CMO roles were with um, Elf Cosmetics, IslandSpace.com, back before everybody knew who they were mm-hmm. in 2007 to 2000, from 2007 to 2010. Um, then I was a CMO at a company called OpenSky, which a lot of people know is a, is a social kind of commerce, peer-to-peer commerce site. And then I joined Collective Bias, which was a community of 4,000 bloggers that created content at scale in a storytelling format for brands. And during all that, I, I really was at the forefront in the beginning of all these social things. And I was fortunately at three companies that basically let me do whatever I wanted to do. So I got a lot of very early experience in, in social media. And then I've leveraged that into, I've written three books, uh, Return on Relationship, How to Look People in the Eye Digitally, and the Age of Influence, Selling to the Digitally Connected Customer, which is all about basically how to connect with people better. Like I, I, th- I see social media as this amazing opportunity to engage and build relationships, and I see too many people and brands using it just to broadcast. So most of my writing and speaking is about how to, how to do it differently, how to, how to connect with people. I, looking people in the eye digitally is about doing what you and I did when we, when we met and spoke at the Mac Kid Meetup, where we focused on each other and we looked at each other and how to do that online, because I believe it can be done sometimes in some ways even better but it takes a little bit more effort because when I'm standing in front of you, you know I'm looking at you. But when I'm digital, you don't know I'm looking at you unless I'm looking at things that are posted on your LinkedIn or on your Facebook or listening to what you're saying and coming back with answers that actually are relevant to what you're talking about. And return on relationship is about the value we all get from actually building relationships. Mm-hmm. So, um, password required. Um, <laughs> did you just hear that from Google? Did that come through? Your password is required. Uh Uh-oh, I hope they don't cut me off. Uh, um, And so what I do now is I speak, I do, so I do a bunch of different things. I I am the MC and the host for something called the Brand Innovator Events, which is a group of 15,000 marketers, a company that does um, 30, 40 to 50 events around the country around marketing and social media and mobile and all the things that are changing. And I MC about 30 of them. Um, I have a content business that John Andrews and I, my business partner from Collective Bias started, where we're kind of working mostly with smaller medium companies and just kind of figuring out the way retail and search and everything is changing and how you connect with consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I do some influencer work for brands, um, mostly in the small business space. Um, and I do consulting for startups. I help them basically meet, um, people at major brands and, and things like that. So, so I can understand how you feel like you you are never getting anything done. That's a lot. You know, well, and, you know, I don't advertise. Like, my business all comes from people seeing me out there. So it's part of the reason I'm so obsessive about always pushing out content and engaging and building my brand. Because I like to say that a brand is what a business or person does, but a reputation is what people remember and share. So if you build a reputation for being engaged, for answering people, for being professional, for, for saying what you mean and meaning what you say, for speaking your mind, then, then people know that and then they can find you that way. And how much, of the, how much of building your persona and your brand and your customer base, how much of that depends on authenticity and being real and telling your true story or is it all just a, a ruse? <laughs> So have you been reading my posts lately? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, perhaps. So what do you mean? <laughs> I, um, it, it, for me, 
and, and unfortunately this isn't the case for everybody. For me, it's about being authentic, um, yeah. you know, and, and I learned a long time ago that when you're authentic, it's easier to do your job because you don't have to remember who you're supposed to be. Right. Um, you are who you are, you know, be who you are and say what you feel. Cause those who mind don't matter. Those who matter don't mind. Now, Truth of the matter is, I also am in a position in my life right now where I can lose business because I don't necessarily need it. Um, so I don't worry about those things, but I've kind of been this way my whole life and I have lost business because of it, but I think I've gained way more um, from, you know, when you speak the truth, when you say really what is in your heart and what you believe, you don't have to like look up in the air every time someone asks you a question and think, what did I say last time? Right. Um, you know, so I, I would say all of it comes from that. I mean, and I get a lot of business where, like, I'll get a, a, a hotel chain to reach out to me and they'll want me to stay in their facility and they want to engage me with something. And I'll say, listen, I just want to make sure we're clear. If I have a bad experience, I'm going to write about it. Like, I'm not going to trash you, uh, mm -hmm. but I'm going to say, like, you know, hey, um, Omni Berkshire closed their gym and didn't tell anybody. And all it took was putting a note under my door so I could have planned for it. You know, and them saying they put up a sign in the lobby. And I'm like, who reads signs in the lobby? <laughs> like, and how much more effort would it have taken? And this is a place that's expensive. So I did, I do do stuff for them and I stay there and they comp me. And, and I will say when I think they did something bad. So um, a lot of companies say to me, yeah, we know that's why we want you. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Lowe's Hotels hired me to come speak at their annual general manager's meeting out in LA and the way it happened was because I had a bad experience at one of their properties and I wrote about it but I was you know totally you know professional and I didn't trash them I didn't I, I just basically explained what happened and when I was there I didn't make a fuss I just kind of you know I paid my bill even though I wasn't supposed to have to pay it after I had all these problems and I won't go into what those were because nobody wants to hear about that. Um, but when I was handed a bill when I left, I just paid it because I figured I'd deal with someone else. But this woman reached out to me. She says, I don't know if you remember me, but I was on the feed of all those emails that went back and forth and we'd like to hire you to come out because we think that our managers need to hear your message. Wow. Um, and then I, and then that continued for a while. I spoke, John, Jonathan Tish came into my, he's the, he's the chairman of Lowe's hotels and, and Lowe's and, and came into to listen to the conversation because it was a return on relationship presentation about engaging with people, about fixing things, about it's, it's not the mistakes you make, it's how you react afterwards. Because right. we all make mistakes and there's not a brand out there that doesn't do something wrong. And, and there's not a brand out there where someone, one of their employees doesn't make a mistake, but it's all about do they accept it, do they say they're sorry, do they fix it? Or do they tell you, oh, that couldn't possibly have happened? Or do they not answer your calls, right? Or not respond to you or not get back to you or, or something like that. So um, what do you think about your question, yes, I do think that's very important. Yeah, but what do you think about businesses in the social media age? I mean, it oftentimes seems so – I mean, the, when we think about the customer is always right. Like, first of all, do you subscribe to that principle? <laughs> um no, but, I yeah. subscribe. I subscribe to you need to have a good customer experience. Um, and I like I, I, the concept of the customer is always right is okay, but in practice it's not. And I'll just give you an example. JetBlue will not be bullied. They have a social. They have a three hundred person social media team, and or I'm sorry, a thirty or forty person social media team. And they, if you start bullying them, they will not give you anything. Wow. Like threaten them. If you say, I have a big following and I'm going to bash you to everybody, they go, good luck with that. 
because they've set their a line in the sand where they are going to help. And they're amazing on social media. They're responsive. They answer their tweets. They get back to you. They have a hotline for their social media team to reach a top person in every department to get resolution or answers or just information. Because half the time, as people, we just want to know what's happening yeah. and, know that, and know that we're being heard. Because clearly an airline can't solve most of your problems just because you're angry. You know, flights aren't taking off if there's a bad storm, your bag isn't being found just because you yell and scream, but they can certainly make you feel heard and, and assisted. And they've done a really wise thing because like, I'll give you a for instance, and we all know about all these horrible things that happened on the airlines last year and the United thing. And, you know, truth be told, I, I think that guy should have been dragged off the damn plane. Yeah, you know, and I and I'm the guy that writes all the time that 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 airlines are letting passengers get away with way too much. I mean, for God's sake, we are flying in a flammable metal tube. Yes, you know, you, there has to be somebody in charge. And you know, look, I'm a diamond member of Delta, and I am a million mile flyer. And if I stand up after the plane takes off to go to the bathroom, and the flight attendant says, "You must sit down, sir," I sit down. Yeah. I don't start explaining why I have to go or who I am or how important I am or, you know, you, and, and what happens is, is last year I felt the airlines in general were backing off way too much. They were apologizing for things that they shouldn't have had to have apologized for, but they were, they become afraid. And, and so back to your question, no, I don't think the customer is always right. And I think sometimes it, it the best, um, tr um, path for the brand is to take a firm stand, do it professionally do it politely. There's ways to talk to people. Don't lose control. And, you know, I'll just tell you, it, like, if you people who are listening, if you follow me, look, I post, a, I'm, I'm, I'm very anti-Trump. And yeah. I'm not afraid to say it. And I said it before the election, and I'm saying it now. And I allow, I have no problem with people disagreeing with me. Uh, do it politely. Do it professionally. If you don't, I'm going to cut you off. I'm going to put guardrails on my social media. And I am going to monitor, and I am going to be in charge of that. But I also have the, I will also, you'll, you'll rarely, if ever, see me lose my cool. You right. know, I, I will thank you for your input. I will appreciate your share. I understand that you're coming from a different perspective. Thank you for sharing. But when I see it getting out of hand, I'll go, okay, we're done. Yeah. You know, and I'll back away or I'll pull off. And look, this is a lot harder for brands because there's a lot more in, involved. It's, I'm the boss of me, as our kids are so happy. Like, you're the boss of you. Like, mm -hmm. I'm the boss of me. So I can do that for a brand. It's harder. But there's also, you train your employees how to speak, how to react. You know, same thing in store. I mean, some companies do a great job of this with their employees. Or, I mean, again, look at JetBlue, look at Delta. They've done a great job in the last year of training their employees at the gates to keep their cool. Because yeah. pastures, I mean, I was at a gate at Delta where people, the, Meredith, it was raining so hard outside that you could not see the runway. And people are bitching that flights are delayed. Right. You know, and then they're screaming and then they're yelling, take out your iPhones, make a recording. They'll have to, you know, give you your money back. And I'm like, I'm going up to the people, the gate agents and saying, I'm here to support you. Like yeah. if, this, if this gets ugly. And the, I mean, at this particular instance, the police came. And the six of them stood behind the gate agents. It's insane. Yeah, I was I was in part I was part of a weather apocalypse uh, <laughs> last year in Atlanta when they had some massive failure with Delta. And you may remember it if you were flying, and we were just trying to get to Florida, and we had a seventeen-hour delay. Right. And luckily, we got out, and my husband could never even get out for three days. And but yeah, people are losing their mind, and I'm like, do you see the lightning? 
Do right. you see the lightning? <laughs> but people, are, have you ever been on a plane where they go to crank it up and it goes, eh, 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 and someone starts bitching? And I'm like, do you really want to take off in this plane? Right. Like, like, <laughs> What's wrong with people? <laughs> yeah, like I am happy to get off this plane if we have to. It, it, it's just, you know, and again, this is going back to what you're talking about. And so I, I think customer experience is really important. And what happens is back to this, you know, a brand is what you are, a reputation what people remember. When you build a reputation for looking out for the consumer, people will give you a buy very often when things don't go right. Yeah, true. If, if, if you treat them right, if you do the right thing, Amazon, I mean, I love Amazon, but like everybody else, they score sometimes. I don't call up yelling and screaming. I don't get angry. I just say, hey, guys, this didn't happen right. Can you fix it? And and they do. Right. And and there's a confidence. I just had American Express. I've been an American Express member for 40 years. Um, I love American Express. I, I believe in them over any other card. They represent the consumer, whereas MasterCard and Visa represent the merchant. They've always done right by me. And recently, I had to jump through hoops to get them to support me in a, in a, in a dispute I had. And I never got angry at them, and I, I just called them back and said, look, I know you guys are really good at this, and, and that you'll fix this for me eventually, and I'm spending a little more time than I'd like to, but I'm going to, and by the way, guess what? Eventually, they fixed it for me. Right. And I knew they would, but, but if it was another company, I might have gotten angrier faster because I didn't have that experience knowing that they do the right thing most of the time. Right. And I just think that has to do with people, too. And it's really hard from a small business standpoint. So I have a really small triathlon clothing clothing business. And, you know, I had an experience with one customer where she basically told me that she was so disappointed in my response. I mean, this was a, like a situation where her item was 18 months old and she wanted total replacement. And this is spandex wear. Like this is stuff that people wear in the pool and on the bike right. and they sweat and they stretch and it's not meant to last a lifetime. <laughs> like it's just not going to. And she wanted total replacement. And I had offered her a repair because I can't do total replacement. <laughs> like I just not in that circumstance, like something that's six months old, it's different. Um, but you know, her response to my response, which was absolutely a solution. I would have fixed it. Um, was to go to all of her community and everywhere she knew in the sport of triathlon and let them know what a shitty company I was. And to me, I'm, you know, looking at social media, I'm like, okay, the customer's always right. I'm a small company. I'm trying to get my feet, you know, planted and I've got this situation. And so I didn't back down. I didn't give her full replacement, but I kind of figured out another solution. But it's situations like that that make me so mad (laughs) because I'm like, it's very hard. In another world, you know, 10 years ago, this wasn't an option. You know, and I feel like a lot of times co- companies are just getting blasted because it's available. You know, yeah, they, they are and they're getting blackballed, you know, and it, look, and that's why it's so important to build your reputation. And of course, it's hard when it's the beginning because you, you're, you don't have that reputation yet. So then I think you have to bend over backwards a little bit more than you might like to. You know, there's yeah. no straight answer for this. You you used your judgment and you figured, I mean, look, we've all done that. I've done something and then someone gets really pissed off and you're like, uh-oh, now I, I got to really, excuse me, bring this down a notch. But like, but again, there are people that are willing to, I don't know if you remember, did you ever go to the, um, um, to the bloggers? No, but I was a part of their network for, in the very beginning, I think when I had my mom blog. Well, so I, I'm familiar with it. Okay, so there was a blog her, uh, let me, I'm trying to date the year, I was a collective, it was probably 2012, 
And it was, a, it, they used to have it in different cities and it was back in New York and some mom bloggers like try to trash a restaurant because they just, because they showed up and it was a busy week and they had no reservation. And they're like, Oh no, you don't know who we are. And they got all attitude. And the, and these mom, particular mom bloggers were not exactly loved because they were very powerful and they tended to sometimes hurt people because they weren't happy with what they did. And the restaurant put a sign on the door. The next day, they said, we don't care how many followers you have on Twitter. You don't have a reservation. You can't come in and directed it at these women. And, I mean, this thing went viral. Everybody nice. at the conference was taking pictures of it. Like, because it was like, like enough is enough with, with this kind of thing. So, and I'm not telling you this is the advice for you, but I have fortunately gotten to the point that when that happens to me, I go feel free. Yeah. And, and I tell this to brands that have built a, if you build a reputation, your community will protect you. So, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm anti-Trump, but I, and, and I do get a little, you know, off color sometimes, but I, I try to be professional. Um, but you know, there's just been all this stuff going on and I was posting some stuff about Roy Moore and all of a sudden recently, a couple of my Trump followers decided like, we're like started posting stuff on my timeline. You know, and of course, these are guys that don't understand social media. They, they, they think because they read what I post in their newsfeed that I'm posting on their page. Right, right. So they come and post on my page. And when I say, you know, you really shouldn't post stuff like that on my page. They're like, well, you post stuff on our page every day. I'm like, no. Um, <laughs> I post on my page. And because you like and comment on every single thing I post. It shows Facebook, up first. <laughs> Facebook thinks you like me so, and are interested in me. So if you'd stop you'd probably stop seeing my posts. But what I'll do is I'll leave those things up. And because a lot of this is I like to show the world that, my, that I like to prove out my theories, that your community will protect you. And by the way, both of these guys ended up deleting the post because my followers came after them. And by the way, a lot of these followers were, were Republicans who just said, this is really uncalled for what you're writing here. Like, you know, like saying things that I, that I condone child, like child molesting because I didn't write something about, you know, how come you don't have every liberal up here? And I'm like, because they're not running for office at the moment. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and whatever, like, but with the point I'm making here is that I put up something that was controversial. Some, I'm, I'm sorry, somebody put something up on my page to hurt me the way you're talking about. And instead of hurting me, my community came out in huge support of me. And even those people who don't agree with me and don't like when I post those things came out and said, this is inappropriate. Yeah. And, and, and to call Ted someone that, that doesn't care like, about his daughters, like you even know who this man is and, and his relationship with his daughters. Like, and, and a lot of these guys are guys that write me side notes saying, could you stop? With, like they, they don't like that I post this stuff, but they're there to support you. And I believe that whether like for you, you know, I think your biggest challenge is connecting. Um, and not that you came here to me for advice because you didn't, but is connecting your, your other brand. Cause you have a very big brand socially. It probably just isn't totally connected yet to the, to the, to the, to um, clothing, yeah. to the clothing brand. So you have probably, you have all these supporters that love you and are inspired by you and all the amazing things you've done and how you help them. And if they were connected to your, to your clothing community and to your business in a little more direct way, then you could feel much more free to say, listen, I offered you a really good solution. I'm here to support you, but this is two years old and I can't replace it. And if you want to go out and diss me to your community, feel free. Yeah. And, and, and then truth be told, she'll end up advertising for you instead of hurting you. 
You know what? One of the things I really struggle with, though, is allowing my loyal followers to defend me because I feel like when that happens that I'm throwing them to, you know, I don't want them to have to defend me. I mean, there's been several situations where I'll get, you know, mentioned or stuck in the middle of something and, and yeah, you're right. Your people will step up, but I hate that they're even having to do that. You know what I mean? I feel bad I, for I, it. I do, but here's, here's what I do. I manage it. So I'll see Meredith jump in and all of a sudden you'll get into a back and forth with this idiot, right? And I'll text message you privately and say, really appreciate the support. You've made your point. Just walk away because you'll never win with this guy. Yeah. And leave it. You don't like just, and, and I'll, I'm, what I'm, because you're in there defending me and I'm giving you permission to back away from it. Yeah. And to, and to let it go. But truth be told, you shouldn't feel bad because you do it for them in a heartbeat. Yeah. And, and, and the people that get the most support are the ones who support the most people. Yeah. So, you know, and again, you didn't ask them to, you didn't post it on your wall and say, Hey, I'm having problems with this guy. Can you guys come and support me? They're, they're, they're looking at you in the eye digitally. They are reading your content. They're participating in what's happening. And, and by the way, I would wager a bet. And you can tell me if I'm wrong, that often the person that jumps in like that is not someone that you've even noticed was following you or wasn't commenting on your things all the time. Yeah. They jumped in because the vast majority of people that were reading your content, you don't even know are there. I call them, I call them um, lurkers, which a lot of people call them, but I call it participating vicariously. They watch the conversations and they feel a part of it, although they don't comment. But very often, those are the people that will jump in and defend you when something happens. Or because, jump in and say shit to you and you're like, whoa, but, what are you doing? A, following, B, yes. commenting, C, block, D, drop dead. Right, that too. <laughs> Or the one that makes a totally irrelevant comment that had nothing to do with what the argument was about. Yeah. They just use it as their platform. So yes, exactly. You know, the ones that piggyback to increase their social media off of yours. Exactly. You know, <laughs> you know there's, a, there's a really good lesson in the fact that Seth Godin doesn't allow comments on his blog. Yes. You know who well, Seth yeah, is, right? I wonder about that. I've gone back and forth on, well, on the that. Reason, but I'll, I'll give you Seth's reason. is twofold. Um, the one that he speaks about publicly is that this is my house and I'm not interested in your opinions. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, um, I'm posting my ideas and you can, you can repost them and use them any way you want, but I don't want commentary here. But his real reason, and I, and I worked with Seth in 97 and, nine, and 98, and I know Seth pretty well, the real reason is he doesn't want you building your brand off his back. Because, look, I, I did a lot of that, like, and I still do. I became a, a certified and rated commenter on Forbes.com. Uh, I used to comment on a lot of blogs because if you're the first commenter, everybody sees your comment. Right. And Seth's basic thing is I don't want people doing that on my blog. So, you know, it, it, and then the other side of it is, you know, a lot of people don't like co- blog comments are not an easy thing to get. And they're and, on the way. They're on their way out. No, they are. And a lot of people, like I was on a panel at Social Media Marketing World a couple of years ago, Nicole Kelly, and I had an outright argument. It was a panel. It was great. Jay, Jay Bear was, was, was uh, moderating. It was the keynote panel, 2,200 people in the audience. And she comes out and says, if you're not getting comments on your blog, your blog's irrelevant. And I said, <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> I beg to differ, like big time. Like, and I, I was actually, I think I used some words that were a little bit stronger than that. Right. Uh, I and, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I said, that's the most ridiculous statement I've ever heard. I mean, first of all, Seth Godin doesn't even allow comments. 
And, and second of all, people, I mean, I, I don't get a lot of comments on my blog and people come back to me and quote my blog to me all the time. Well, because everyone's and, commenting on Twitter and Facebook now. Well, I mean, I, and, two and by years the way, ago, that, I'd get 300 comments on my blog and I right. have 10 times the readers now and I get two. <laughs> so, you, you know, you know what I do? If I have a blog post I want comments on, I post the, either the whole blog or the most important part of it on Facebook. I get 80, 100 comments, and then I screenshot the comments and put it in my blog post as an image. Oh, that's a good idea. Because people comment on Facebook, and they comment easily and quickly and comfortably. On blogs, they don't, and they're not comfortable doing it. And so, I went through a phase there for a while where I was allowing like the really negative comments to come through. And then, like you said, people would jump in and defend me or defend my idea or whatever. And then I finally decided, I guess much in the way of Seth Godin, like why am I giving these people any airspace? And most no. of the time they were fake profiles no. anyway, like, which means exactly. probably like my neighbor, which is even more disconcerting. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, shit, that's well, you, you, my neighbor. <laughs> did, did you read the New York times article a couple of weeks ago? It's called, it, it, you really might not want to read it. It's called the Nazi next door. Oh no. No, I, yeah. no. It's basically about all the people that we that we think are our neighbors and are friendly and are white supremacists. Or actually, the guy they interviewed in this thing says, I'm not no white supremacist. I'm a white nationalist. I don't think I'm better than them. I just don't want to be near them. Right. You know, like, oh, well, that's better. Okay. I grew up in the South, Ted. Nothing surprises right. <laughs> me at this point. Right. So, <laughs> so you know, it, I totally agree with that, like not giving them a platform. And, and, and by the way, I like, I don't allow any hate speech on my thing. I don't, it, it mostly it's, it's the people that come in and go, Oh my God, healthcare is going to get so much better. And you know, like I just posted a post and I'm like cracking up because I'm like, I'm laughing at all my Republican friends who I know they claim they're Trump supporters, but what they really are is lower tax supporters. And that's all they care about is just paying less taxes. And I would wager in a bet that 90% of them with this huge tax overhaul are going to be paying more taxes, not less. Right. And I think, and, and the joke's on them because they're not millionaires. They're successful people, but they're, they're certainly, you know, middle or middle upper class and they're all going to get nailed on this thing. And, and, but I let that conversation, because that's a good conversation because it, it's, it, when it stays with facts and information, not with, you know, I, I did write another thing. Well, I'm just a democratic libtard. So, <laughs> oh, no. because I know there'd be a couple jumping in like, cause I get that, you know, and that, that's when I cut it off and say, okay, we're done. You know, it, it's, and, and, but what I've learned, and I think this is, I think with your business, uh, unless you're not looking to grow it, but if you're looking to grow it, that there will come a tipping point where you will feel comfortable standing up and, and there's nothing wrong with not standing up. You got a business, you got to, you know, you, you, you can't afford at some point all that negative publicity. If you feel that you don't have the, the, the footprint yet to, to outlast or, or to turn it into a positive. Mm -hmm. And you have to make, you're the only one that can make that judgment for your business. But I also know you're not going to turn around and, and just agree with somebody. You're going to say, okay, I'm not really sure this is good, but I want to make you happy and I'm going to replace your product. Right. You know, where I'm at kind of, I mean, I just try and keep, I'll be very opinionated when it impacts me or like my immediate realm of what I'm trying to convey. Like if I post something about, how the scale doesn't matter and you should focus on non-scale right. victories and someone wants to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with me on that, then I will. But if it's like I stay completely out of politics, I think anyone close to me knows where I fall. <laughs> anyone close right. to me absolutely knows where I fall, but I stay out of it because I feel like I'm, that's not my realm. But you're right. If something gets bad enough <laughs> in my eyes to speak up, I will because that's where I'm at. But I think that 
requires a certain level of tough skin. And I grew a really tough skin in 2017. Really tough. I'm thankful for this year, but I'm ready for this shit to be over with. <laughs> um, but like, have you always had a tough skin? Because even if you're very opinionated and you're good at just putting it out there and saying what you mean and meaning what you say and, and tolerating people's responses, like, was there a point when it made your blood rise, <laughs> your blood pump oh, harder? and you Of, of course. So like, there's how do you get over that? Well, there's two parts to that. So first of all, there was a part where I had a temper and I would let my blood rise. But there was also the part that, and to this day, I really don't have a tough skin. I hate when people don't like me. Um, and it really bothers me. Um, so I don't like that. But what I there's two things that have overtaken that. And maybe it's age. Maybe it's experience. Maybe it's point of my life. But um, as far as the not losing my cool... Uh, look, when I fought, when I fought for the to keep my kids in my life, um, it was a really hard time for me, and and I was very very angry when it ended. I lost years of my daughters, uh, and I and I still lose with them. My older daughter barely talks to me because my ex still forbids it, and they're twenty and twenty two, and they're still very much in her realm. And what people don't understand, and has been explained to me by people I really trust, is that they're not ready to face this, and it's going to be many years before they probably will. And so I, what happened was is that I I fought for my kids and I won and it bankrupted me and I was I had to leave my job and focus on it 100% and I was hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt in 2010 um, and I was angry and I was I was going to start a business around that so this is a true story I don't know if I've ever shared this on a podcast I have told this story to people um, but I was starting a business called rant about your ex Oh, wow. And by the way, I still, so if you want to check, I still own the URLs and I will always keep them because when someone says, oh, come on, you didn't do that. And no way that <laughs> happened. I own rant about your ex EX and rant about your ex the letter X. And, I, and they're on automatic renewal. Um, and I was going to start, because what happened was I was going through this horrible thing and I had a few friends that were amazing. Thank God for, for Michael Olstein and Donna Lamonshoff and, and Wendy Roseman and these people I grew up with and, and my buddy Alan Rothstein, they, they gave me the sounding board so that I didn't have to do this to people I didn't know. And I wasn't that guy, you know, that showed up at everything saying, oh my God, my, you know, and every time I came out of court and every time I had a battle and every time I, I mean, I was spending, you know, triple in legal fees even before I left my job to what I was earning. And then I had to stop working. And I said, oh my God, this is like an amazing business. Everybody, and everybody I would talk to would have their own stories because we all have our like, oh my God, my ex does this and my wife does that. And I decided I'm going to start this business and I called together and I, I have a lot of friends and a lot of people I've done stuff for because I've been living by this be good to people kind of thing for many, many years. And I called up some serious people and said, look, I have this idea for this business. We have to get together in New York. And we used my buddy's office, 50th floor in Penn Plaza. And I had my chief technology guy, and I'm not going to name names, but he's a top guy. And my buddy, who's an attorney, who's done a lot of financial documents for me, he was going to write up the, the investment paperwork. And I had a buddy, my, my buddy who had been through the whole thing with me, who was kind of be the guy that was close to me about all the concepts and what I could do and wouldn't do. And then I had my, my marketing guru guy, who was a traditional marketing guy who got me my job at Elf Cosmetics and, you know, all these things and these guys by the way sat down together after the first meeting i i i went out for like to get some coffee for everybody and they said we are never going to let him start this business <laughs> okay like we are like this is so fun like this is going to be bad and but we're gonna but he needs this right now and let's humor him now to the point they humored me is i have a logo i have a business plan 
I have legal documents that was going to raise money. And, and this went on for five or six meetings over three months. And, uh, and this goes to the point of when did this happen for me is I woke up one morning. And I woke up every morning with angst. My chest hurt. My stomach hurt. I was angry. I was having horrible dreams. And, and I was so overwrought over what happened and what I was going through and what it cost me and everything I lost for it. And I woke up one morning and just said, I don't want to be angry anymore. Yeah. And, you know, a part of me is I'm a New Yorker. I'm naturally angry. You know, it's like, I mean, I'm a classic type A New Yorker. <laughs> Someone bumps into you, you give them attitude. And, you know, and this was, and I just said, I don't, I don't, and I realized it went beyond just this whole thing with my ex. It was other things in my life. It was suing people when something went wrong in business. It was, yeah. it was fighting for something. It was arguing with people. And I called up all these guys, uh, uh, true story. And I said, okay, guys, we've got to get together. i got some big news. Uh, um, I, I have to see all of you. And they actually came nervous. They thought I'd raise money. <laughs> like they thought, I found, they thought I found, and by the way, in between this, I saw another mentor who was a company, who, who had a company, very successful ad sales company, whose board I was on, who sat down with me and said, listen, dude, if you're going to do this, understand the kind of advertisers you're going to have to sell. And by the way, this was... Um, like just when Facebook was like was new, so like the, the people were thinking you could launch all these other social networks, and he said you're going to have to sell like Jerry Springer type of advertisers because regular brands, which is all who I knew, are never going to advertise on, on a hate site like this. Right? I'm like it's not a hate site. It's like yes, it is. So I call these guys in the room and I go, guys, I got really bad news. Um, I, I can't do this business. Like I, I've got to step back from this. I, I can't be angry anymore. And they're all. Oh, Ted, I'm losing you. you my might need God, to step in. Oh. Hey, you might need to step okay, in. You're okay, hold on. Up a little bit. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> can can, can you hear me? blowing leaves or something. Can you hear me better? Can you hear me better now? Yeah, you're good. Okay, so okay. I, I open up this. They hand me this envelope, and it's sealed and dated. And inside the envelope is all of them saying, "No fucking way! Like you're not doing this business, and we're never going to let you launch this." <laughs> um, and we just did this because we know that you needed it. So, um, first of all, it's a great story of return on relationship, um, and friendship and, and people that were there for me. Um, and it was, that's when I, at that point, which was, you know, about eight years ago, nine years ago, I said, I, I got to let this go. And then it just took on a life of its own. Like I try to be happy all the time. I mean, not about everything. And believe me, I've got stress, I've got anger, but I just don't let it go to that next degree. I cut it off. Yeah. And I refocus. And and I a lot of times if you see me comment, I have a shortcut on my phone that's eight APM. And that's attitude perspective dot 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 mindset. No let up. Mm-hmm. And basically what it means is you can control anything you're involved in with your attitude and 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 look and looking at your perspective and others, and then creating your mindset. And there's a great book out there, if there are parents on this on this call, I mean on this podcast, um, called Mindset by, by Carol Dweck, D-W-E-C-K. And it's mostly about how to create the right mindset in your children. Mm-hmm. And about how all the bad mindsets as parents we help create by what we say in front of our children. Ugh. That's you know, the worst. Right? Yes. Like, the mom, yes. like the mom that says, oh, she doesn't like to answer questions. Before she even has a chance to answer a question. Or my daughter doesn't like sports. And they say it every time someone says, hey, you know, Lori, we're, we're playing soccer. Do you want to play? No, Lori doesn't like sports. Right. 
And, and I had an issue with that because my ex did that to my daughters all the time because my older daughter was very timid. And, and so she never got a chance to speak because every time someone asked her a question, my ex would jump in before she even had a chance and say, Danny doesn't, Danny doesn't like to be asked questions. And uh, it's an amazing book. And I've kind of, and there's, there is stuff in there that's not just about kids, but I bought it mostly for that reason when I was, when I was a single dad. Um, and then I learned from it, in, it just in my own life that you create your own mindset. And I've seen so many people and as you have, and look at yourself with challenges, with things that you need to change. And it, it and, and very often it looks daunting, yeah. but it's, it's about figuring it out and having an attitude and creating a mindset. And Dale, one of my favorite Dale Carnegie quotes is, and this isn't the exact quote, but the basis of it is, it's not what you have or where you're going or what you're doing. It's what you think about that makes you happy. Yep. And we all can go down, look, I can go down a wormhole. I can, I, I do this periodically and then I mentally bring myself back. I'll be laying around, something will happen. I'll look at a picture of my daughter and I'll start thinking of the time I missed and what I should have done different. And maybe I should have done whatever I had to do and given my ex whatever she wanted. And, and you can start just going down that wormhole and you have to catch yourself and say, I'm not going there. Yep. And bring yourself to something else or another thing. So that's on that front. And then the idea about, um, well, there were two things I told you there, there was, Oh, about that's the getting, the getting angry thing. And then the thick skin thing is that I've, and again, I think this is time and age and experience. I've learned to, um, let things kind of fall off me. I've learned to redirect them. I've learned to be able to have a conversation with someone's being nasty. And I've learned that if I take the high road, they oh, get, I was going to ask you about the high road. I'm glad you brought that up. Okay. They, they get frustrated very quickly Yeah. because most people that are being nasty to you want you to be nasty back. That's where they get their pleasure. Um, and when you won't let that happen and you, you just let them know that this is okay. This is your opinion. Thank you very much. I mean, I write, thank you for sharing all the time and, and, or I appreciate your input or I'll say to people flat out, that is so totally wrong, but I appreciate you sharing your insight from your perspective. Mm -hmm. And, and most of the time trolls will go away if you don't give them what they're looking for. So I'll also, I will retweet negative stuff about me all the time. Will and, you? Oh, all the time. It's my way of saying, I'm happy to share this with my audience. And I've actually had, a, I'm not going to name a name here, but I, I actually have a social media guy who a lot of people know, ex-corporate executive and stuff, who came after me for something and then got angry when I retweeted his tweets. <laughs> But he tweeted him at you. Thank you. <laughs> and he's supposed to be a social media specialist. I'm like, dude, you have my phone number. And by the way, I did all this on, like I did all this publicly. Like he'd say, I can't believe that your Ted Rubin is sharing my, I'm like, you didn't DM me. You can email me. You can text me. You can call me. But if you tweet me, by the way, and by the way, going back, let's circle back now to the people that support you. There were at least six or seven people that jumped in and said, don't you know that Ted retweets everything? Like good, <laughs> bad. Like if you really know anything about, just go into his feed. People have called me like nasty things, and I've retweeted and said thanks for the input. Oh, that's funny. And I find, you know, um, look, I believe haters hate, and critics can be very valuable to a brand because critics tend to have a real issue. And when JetBlue likes to say, and I do quote them a lot because I love the way they handle 
their followers and their audience and their social media is if one person's complaining, there's a good bet there's at least another 150 others. Therefore, if we respond to this publicly, we're saving ourselves time and money. Right. Instead of, you know, I don't know, like American Airlines, their favorite thing is DM us, please. Then you DM them and they say, send us an email. Here's an email address. <laughs> like, no, I'm going to address it. The, or they'll say, well, we're protecting your privacy. That's fine. Everybody can know I'm on flight 754 <laughs> sitting in row three in seat 3A. And I'm happy to have them know that. Now, can we have this conversation? But you, you know, raise an interesting point. I mean, you, you draw, there's a big distinction between the critic and the hater. Like the critic might actually have valuable insight that might help you. Right. The, the hater's just an asshole who has an, a problem with you in general. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And they tend to be trolls. So I either just ignore them. And by the way, here's another important point. Look at who your haters are. 99% of the time, they have two followers. Or they're anonymous, though. Right. That's what uh, I've uh, noticed. Yeah. But, but, but very often, it just doesn't matter. And, and I've, had, I've advised brands this way. I've had a few brands. They call me at midnight when there's a crisis happening. And I'll, they didn't even bother to look at the person who's creating all the commotion. I'm like, they have five followers. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I went in and looked at their followers because, hey, someone could have five followers and they can be five very important people or five people with a million followers. It's why I also treat everybody equally. I look at everybody because you never know who someone's connected to right. and everybody influences somebody. But I will go and look and, you know, look, a lot of people will quote Jay Bear wrote a book um, called Hug Your Haters. And um, Jay really didn't mean that. It, the, the, the title sounded good. If you read the book and it's a very good book, J Jay is really saying hug your critics. Mm -hmm. It just it just doesn't sound as good. So and I mean that like hug your haters is a much better sounding title than hug your critics. Right. But what he he's really saying is hug your critics because those are the people who are, who are telling you things that are important to know. And and haters uh, haters hate. Mm -hmm. And and I either I either I either ignore them if I find them in, insignificant or I'll respond to them and, and I, I will just say thanks so much for your input and I just won't let them rile me. Because the minute they do, you'll never get rid of them. So how have you dealt with any breakdowns in business relationships or professional relationships that were really kind of surprising to you? And what does taking the high road in those situations look like? And what does it mean long term? Because short term, it's really hard to take the high road in something and to, to realize you're going to lose people because someone else might be lying or mischaracterizing events or whatever. Um, but I know it's a long game, this high road. <laughs> the high road is a long game and it goes back again to, to building your reputation because people like, again, I get people that defend me in all different places, whether it's about my feelings about my daughters or it's about Ted's always professional or Ted says what he means, or if Ted says it happened, it happened, or, you know, it, it, it's, it, look, if someone's misstating something, you're not not taking the high road if you restate it. Mm -hmm. You know, what's not taking the high road is when they say, oh, that's a bunch of bullshit, and then you continue fighting with them. You know, for me, my taking the high road is, well, you're welcome to your opinion. Here are the facts. Right. You know, and, and then, yes, it is, it is a long game because, you know, people, it takes a long time. And it's the reason most people don't succeed at it because everybody is so used to immediate gratification these days that, I mean, just watch even younger. I like to say that boomers are actually better at social media than millennials or Gen Z. They're not as technically adept, but they're better at building relationships. They understand that it takes time to build a following or to build a reputation. And they understand there's people on the other end. 
and they understand that. What yeah. happens, like, watch a lot of your millennial or Gen Z social media people now, and they create a hashtag, and two months later, they, get, they, they dump it, and they start with a new one because it didn't catch on. And Well, you know, I've been using return of R&R for, for nine years now. Uh, and no let up for six years. I mean, it takes a long time. And yes, I repeat it over and over and over again because the basic tenets of marketing still hold. Reach and frequency. The more people you reach and the more times you say it again and again, the more likely they are to hear it. So somebody young will look and say, oh my God, like it's getting, how many times is Ted going to put no let up in his, in his tweets or in his Facebook posts? Or yeah, but guess what? I get, I get random emails, notes, phone calls from all over the world from people talking about no letter. Yeah. Well, I mean, I met you for 10 minutes at an event. I went back, looked you up on Instagram. I saw no let up. I was like, we could be friends. I like that. And I think about it all the time. It's in my brain and it wasn't even frequency. I mean, it's great. And then part of you do it. (laughs) Right. And then part of your, and by the way, that's one of my lines, like try something, experiment. If it works, drive a truck through it and then keep (laughs) driving a truck through it until it's like people say, when are you going to stop with the Ted Saki thing? And they go, I'm going to stop with it. When people stop coming to conferences like Macaroni Kid, bringing me socks and and asking to take pictures with them. And, (laughs) and for me, it's, it's, it's branding. The branding is Ted's approachable. Like, all you have to do is, is ask me to see my socks. You don't have to come up with a brilliant marketing concept or something to talk about. And, and look, everything takes time. You know, it's just like the brands that bring you in and say, Meredith, um, can you build us this following in, in three months? And, and you're like, well, you know, I told you three years ago to start doing this. Yeah, but we need it now. Right. Well, it, take, it takes time. And it takes time to build momentum behind something. And it takes time to build a brand. And it takes time to build a reputation. Because it doesn't happen in a week because people want to see how you react and what you do over time. So, yes, it is a long game. But if you, if you tell – and then the other thing is don't let the criticism get you. I get criticized – and I'm not talking about haters now. I'm talking about criticism, which is a little different thing. I get criticized constantly about my hashtags, about the way I post, about what I say. I mean, around, go back and you can find a post in my blog around the election. I wrote a really negative post about social media influencers because a bunch of the people that we all know reached out to me and told me to stop posting about the election. Right. And, and they, they got angry at me. And in the end, when I wouldn't listen to them, they said, well, it's not just about you, you're hurting us. And I go, what do you mean? Well, you're, you're giving a bad name to the industry. I'm like, so you guys will use your influence to sell more freaking Oreos. But I shouldn't use my influence to affect our futures. Right. Like, really? Like Oreos? Like, <laughs> you, 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 like and then they'd say, oh, you're not going to change anybody's mind anyway. I'm like, well, first of all, I've had my mind changed. And I've changed people's minds. Second of all, especially this, this has to do with now, I'm not trying to change people's minds. I'm trying to rally like-minded supporters. Ah, oh, that's a good point. So I am not trying to turn Trump. Uh, there's not one of my friends who's a Trump follower. And by the way, some of them are really smart, intelligent. They've got good reasons. And, and, and I can reason with them. I'm not even wasting a moment trying to convert them. I am trying to rally the people who do think the way I do, but maybe didn't vote or maybe didn't care enough or maybe didn't jump in. And therefore, I feel it's really important. But I get criticized about my hashtag. So the joke out there. And by the way, I get criticized mostly by other social media, like, people, folks, the gurus. They all, oh, my God, like, Ted's launching another hashtag. But guess what? The hashtags I use become a part of my brand, and people know them. This dad won't quit. No let up. R&R. 
Um, I, and then I take other people's. Be good to people isn't mine. That's that's Chris Wittenberg and her Be Good to People company. But I adopted it. No Let Up wasn't a hashtag, but a buddy of mine has a charitable group called No Let Up. He reached out to me and said, oh, my God, Ted, you're going to love this. I said, hey, this is years ago. And there's, a, there's a post on my blog called so, on tedrubin.com called So What Is No Let Up, if you want to hear the history of it and understand it. But I said, I'm going to adopt this, turn it into a hashtag for me, put all the letters together. And he said, God bless. And it's become a, a really big part of who I am. This dad won't quit is about the fight for my daughters and the fact that I see all these dads who just don't, they give up and they walk away. And yes, by the way, there are women that go through this too, but I, I'm not a woman and I'm not going to, I'm not going to say I can speak for them. I'm speaking from a dad's perspective. And then I adopted Ronnie Noons. Do you know Ron, Ronnie Noon and, and, and Carla Bernberg, the fitness bloggers? Uh, I might if I saw it, but not well, off the top of my head. You should check them out because you'd like them. But they wrote a book called What You Can When You Can. Okay. And it was written because they're they're fitness bloggers and they and their business is fitness and they have these huge mom blogger followings and a lot of the women started reaching out saying look it isn't really fair like you're of course you're in amazing shape your business is working out like we don't have time for this and they said well actually you do and we're going to show you how to do this in your daily life and park your car at the back of the mall you know uh, when, when you're when you're when you're at when you're at Disney put your kids in a in a, wear your workout gear and push your you know your push your push a double stroller and, and carry your kid on your shoulders and 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 every time when i pump gas you, you're going to if you ever pass me pumping gas you will i'm doing squats or <laughs> or, or, I'm, or i'm doing calf raises always i stretch I, my hamstrings right i do this on the line when i'm waiting on line at whole foods or any place else, I'm always doing something. And and John, you ask my business partner, he'll go, well, you can when you can. I walk stairs two at a time. My wrestling coach, who was my junior high and my high school wrestling coach, who is now like my my dad, because my parents passed away, and him and his wife have been like my second parents my whole life. Um, he always told us, walk stairs, always. Walk them two at a time, and you'll always be in shape. Yeah, and, I guess so. And, and, and he has a sign <laughs> on his stairs on his home where he has all these stairways, and it says, every step you take adds a minute to your life. Every stair. Oh, I like that. And I, it, it, when I saw their, like their book and their thing, I said, oh my God, like I, when I'm in airports, I walk the stairs, um, even escalators, like unless I have a ridiculously heavy suitcase. And even then sometimes I'll do it. And I look at it just as a way, you know, and, and so I adopted WYCWYC. So if you ever see that, that's what you can, when you can. Uh, and I'll write it when I'm climbing stairs. I don't use it as often as the others, but I still have people that throw it out and quote it to me. So, you know, and I get a lot of people that criticize me for that. And I get people that criticize me for writing about Trump or I get people that criticize me for posting from the beach. Like, oh, you know, you, you know, everybody's as lucky as you are. You know, you're kind of bragging. I'm like, actually, um, it's costing me 30 percent of what it used to cost me in New York to live here. Right. You know, like, <laughs> so actually, you probably could afford it. Um, you know, but I and, and that's what I do instead of getting angry. I say, hey, you should move here. There are a lot of beautiful places for sale for a lot less than what it costs where you live. Yeah. Um, and so, and I'll I'll give them a resolution instead of, and I won't let it stop me. That's the main I, thing is just to to maybe let it soak, not even soak in. It hits you, rolls off, and you keep doing your thing. Right. Uh, and but also from the other perspective, if it, if someone tells me something that I'm doing that's wrong that makes sense, I'll also listen to it. That doesn't mean I'll, but I mean, I'll, I'll take it in and determine whether what they're saying makes sense. Maybe I should stop what I'm doing. Yeah. 
I, I've stopped things. Like I said, people have convinced me from, from a different perspective that maybe I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing on occasion. And, and, and I'll, but I also give thought to what I'm doing. I don't just do. I, I stop and think before every time I click send. Hmm. Yeah. And then I also, here's another thing. Here's another great tip for, for your audience. When you are sending something controversial, and if you have that, whether you know it is or you get that feeling in your gut, like, I'm sure, have you been through this marathon where you're about to post something, you say, maybe I shouldn't post this. Yeah. You know, well, if I then go past that thought and say I'm going to, I always pay attention. I don't walk away after that post. Right. Because what if something blows up? And, and the reason I've always been able to handle those things is I always pay attention. And believe me, I've made mistakes. I've said bad things. Um, uh, back when Sarah Palin was running for president, uh, it turns out I have a lot of Christian mom blog followers. And I made a really nasty comment about Sarah Palin, uh, well, you know, basically just about her lack of intelligence. Um, and, and it blew up. But I paid attention. I was able to go in and explain that I wasn't necessarily putting her down as much as I was making a statement about what she was saying. And one time, so here's a funny one. Um, I'm single. And apparently the blogger community is obsessed with me connecting with somebody. So they're <laughs> bugging me about this stuff. And I get – this was years ago. So Twitter wasn't like – you know, I mean social media was kind of newer. I think it was around 2000. 10 or 2011 and some bloggers said hey ted i have a great woman for you um she's even on twitter <laughs> and she wrote this publicly and i meant to dm her a and my answer was i don't date women that are on twitter <laughs> my point being is then they know everything i'm doing because i tweet out everything and and it went i didn't i didn't dm it i sent it as a regular tweet and the world blew up Oh my God, you know, and I was able to jump in and explain it, that it wasn't saying like, I think there's something wrong with a woman being on Twitter, which is the way it was perceived. My answer was that I, I, then they're going to know every time I land and every time I take off and where I am. And I don't know if I can live with that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, awesome. Right. So it, it's funny because, you know, like I said, every, cause everyone does know, I mean, I write when I, I write everything. You know, I'm, I'm on the beach, I'm going here, I'm doing something and, and I, and I'll make comments and I, and, and, and these days, you know, you're being tagged no matter where you are. You know, everyone doesn't realize that by the way, everybody, if you don't know this, even if you have a private account, when you put stuff on social media, Google indexes it. Yeah. So the, the bad news is if you don't want people to see it, they're seeing it. And the good news is if your daughter blocks you, you can still see what she's posting. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I could talk to you for a hundred years. I always love hearing what you have to say and love following you. And so I have one more question for you. Sure. Okay. So this podcast is called The Same 24 Hours. And I got the idea um, because we all have the same 24 hours in our day, but it's what we do with those 24 hours that makes us happy, healthy, more successful. So what is something that. that you, Ted Rubin, do on a daily basis? basis besides your squats and your calf raises <laughs> that you think makes your life happier, more healthy and more successful. I support somebody else almost every day. Oh, I like that. So, so I, by the way, I love it. Uh, what is it? Another 24 hours? The same Another, 24 hours. I love the same 24 hours. And I always talk about like, wouldn't it be great if we could somehow figure out how to extend that? But right. Every day I, and it, it takes different forms. Um, I serendipitously share somebody's content that very often that I don't know. Um, I, have a, I have a newsletter that goes out on Sundays and Wednesdays, and the Wednesday version is called Return on Relationship, and it always features somebody else's content. 
that's that, nice. I, that, that I just pick. So, um, that's, so I've made that part of my brand. So I do that every day in some form. So yes, I, I also feel like I have to work out every day. And again, to those people that say, Hey, we don't always have time for that. It's not always like, it doesn't mean going to the gym every day. It means doing some pushups in my bedroom. It means doing some squats when I'm, when I'm somewhere else. It means uh, I used to set up chairs and do reverse dips or dips in the office I worked in. So that's part of it. But the more important thing that really is, is I try to just do something for somebody else. I try to be good to people yeah, and, and, and smile. And what, here's what you're going to learn. And this goes directly to your to your same 24 hours. People think that being good to people is about the other people. It's also about you. It makes me feel better. Yeah. And, and, and truth be told, I'm being selfish. Like I'm, I'm not being good to people. I'm also being good to myself. And the, and the main reason I make an effort every day to do something like that or to be good to people just in a store or to brighten someone's day. I was with a friend yesterday and she's like, oh, my God, like you're like so friendly to everybody. Like everybody that walks by on the beach, like I say hello to, and I and and, and I just so it's because it makes me feel good. So it, that is your tw- that's something that you can do in in your twenty four hours. That is, is although it looks to the outside world that you're doing it for the outside world, you're really doing it for yourself. Yeah, I think you and I have a very similar one. I mean, that my grandmother was the most generous person on the planet, and it rubs off on me. And every day when I'm able to be generous in some way. I feel like I'm breathing. You know what I mean? If it's just completely anonymous or or like you say, just taking time to have a conversation with someone, that is life breathing for me. Right. It's like the guy that, and I'll do this sometimes, but mostly, look, most of us, when we do something nice for someone, we want to be recognized for it because we're not understanding that it's not that person's adulation or being happy. It's how it makes you feel yourself. Like the guy that pays the toll of the guy behind him, Mm -hmm. he's never going to speak to that guy behind him. He's never going to know, or the guy that does that in the drive-through. I'm sure you've heard these stories. Yeah. Like the guy, like pays for something, and, and and what I'll do is mine isn't so much like that. I try to help. Like, have you ever been online where someone forgot their money or doesn't have enough or can't cover oh, yeah. the thing? And like, you know, you say I'll take care of it. Right. And I'm I'm never going to see that person again. They're not going to tell my friends. They don't know my name uh, because it makes me feel good. And I think that I love that you that you come from that. Yeah. And I think it's also putting yourself in that person's position. I mean, I, I'll never forget. I was at the grocery store and my kids are 14 months apart. So they're really close in age. And I was behind this woman who had two very, actually, I think she had three and they were stair steps and she forgot her wallet. She was at the checkout and she had those right. two kids and she, she was like, Oh my God, I forgot my wallet. Huge, huge grocery cart. And I was like, I got it. Go. Right. I mean, didn't even think twice because I was like, girl, I have been there. Right. <laughs> I have been there. And I don't even think about, you know, anything else than empathy. You got right. my empathy. Well, the family that gives up their seats on a plane because they see somebody panicking. Yeah. And they're, and they're not giving it up for the $300 thing. Or they did. I, I had this happen with me and I, I will never, ever fly Southwest because when I had my girls and divorced dad, my ex really, I mean, you, you don't even want to go there. But like literally if I was late, the police would get called and we're like flying back from Florida and they gave away our seats. And, and I'm, I, I must have looked like, like I was going to die. I thought I was going to die. And this woman comes up and she says, excuse me, um, we don't have to be anywhere. Uh, we'd like to give our seats to this gentleman. Oh, wow. And she's like, oh, my God. Like, she pulled me aside. She said, those poor little girls, they see that look on your face. Like, I'm so sorry. And take take my seats, please. And then, of course, the airlines did do the right thing and took care of them. 
Mm-hmm. You know, but it when you do those things, just to me, that's that that's that's what makes my twenty four hours. Just yeah. and by the way, it's so easy today, because all you have to do is go online and do something nice, like somebody's post, share it, put it out. Even if you don't have a big following, because by the way, people aren't looking going, oh my god, you have, they're going, wow. Even brands, I tell this, you share someone's content, and they say, well, we can't share everyone's content. Who really cares? They care, right? People, so it's really easy to make people happy these days. That's right. Well, thank you, Ted. I really enjoyed it. Well, my pleasure. This was great. I'm so glad we made it happen. And apologies again for like for, for dropping the ball last time. No, it's okay. I'm just glad that I had no let up today right. and pushed through. <laughs> it was fun. Uh, I, I, and, and now that you reminded me, I hope you'll feel better. I do. I feel fine now. See, that's, that's how great. it works out. It's like See? you, you get I transferred moving. some energy to you. That's right. You gave me some good, good energy. Right. Exactly. Exactly.